0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Untitled Podcast. I am your host, Crystal. And today I feel, I feel really good. This episode is being recorded for you in a very nice, super sexy sound treated space. It's wonderful. I love it. And that's just the perfect environment for me to dredge up the past and not take back what I've said previously about my feelings regarding work, but kind of amending them based on some new sources I've had the very wonderful opportunity of engaging with this past summer. So, what about love, you know? It's a very interesting thing to think about love, and for most of my life I thought that love and work had to go together in the sense of doing the work that you're passionate about and I couldn't fathom doing work that I didn't love and I couldn't imagine living, honestly, against my own wishes, living a loving life without the necessity of work. So they were kind of attached in a weird way for me, and my understanding was a little bit weird, arguably also a little naive at times. Um, I want to really touch on that second part, actually, before I continue, that I couldn't imagine living a loving life without the necessity of work. It's just that I You know, I've talked in a previous episode, I Simply Shall Not Work, to this day, one of my favorite episodes I've ever recorded, about how I, you know, wanted to frolic in the forest and live in the cabin and have a pet pig. Like, that was my dream. And I said that, like, a year, year and a half ago. And, but I knew that wrapped within that, I couldn't fund that kind of lifestyle. Any, you know, version of my dream life, quote unquote, that I've seen... I couldn't fully buy into that fantasy because I knew I would have to work to some degree for some amount of time in order to fund that kind of lifestyle. And so unfortunately, work was always that like weird thing lingering in the corner of my mind, kind of sad. But at the same time, when I thought about doing things I was genuinely passionate about, I couldn't imagine working in any other type of space. Unfortunately, I've had my own run-in now of working in spaces where I really truly didn't love the work I was doing and I didn't love the spaces that I was in and how that's really changed a bit of how I'm feeling and I really feel like I have to go back and amend uh, some of the previous comments that I've made about working and not wanting to work and not dreaming of labor which is still true but Lots of things have changed since I recorded this previous episode. This is the longest intro of all time. I apologize. Yeah. So moving on from what I've said earlier, I then entered a phase where I accepted that my full-time job would most likely not be a source of love or joy in my life, and I just have to make do with my hobbies on the weekend. This is where I stood, like, end of my freshman year of college, going into sophomore year, had a conversation with my best friend, and she really kind of introduced me to this perspective, for better or for worse, in all honesty. But I recognize that in my pursuits for financial stability and that being one of the most important things for me, I couldn't always have the things that I love. And so that's totally fair. And it it sucks that in any case that you'd have to choose between the two really sucks and that financial barriers particularly underpaying people for very valuable services to society, that being a thing makes it really hard for people to pursue their passions up front. Instead, it becomes something that you put off and you put off and you put off, and then suddenly you've been working in the workforce for 40 years, and you've never worked a job that you truly loved. But away from that little sad tangent, now entering my third year of college, I am again optimistic that my work can be a source of joy and that it can be loving And frankly, I'm starting to believe that it should be. This episode, as I said many times now, because I'm getting a bit repetitive today, this episode is a continuation from a previous episode, I Simply Shall Not Work, from over a year ago. And although most of my stances on work and money have remained the same, I've recently begun to recognize and appreciate love as a part of work, which fascinating, is it not? To think about love and work, I feel like if you're not taking it to mean love as passion you might also mistake it as like romantic love in the workplace and workplace like inter coworker relations that's a whole nother set of like dramas and things to worry about that's not what i'm referring to and i will be actually defining love because i have a very particular definition of love that comes from the book that spurred this episode in the first place um i've also released an episode about love itself And looking back, I missed love in so many places, including the workplace. I talked about romantic, platonic, familial, but I never talked about the place of love in the workplace, largely because it's something that I also had never thought about. It was a very, like, why would I, you know, other than like inter-coworker relations, why would I be thinking about love in the workplace? But there is room for love in the workplace, and there should be. So this enlightenment is largely based on bell hooks, All About Love, One of the most informative and influential books I've had the pleasure of reading this past summer. And I feel like I'm seeing life through rose colored lenses in a very good way. I'm finding love in everything, and I think that you should as well. It really changes your perspective on life. And I have to really take a second and promote this book because I think the universe wanted me to read it. Because prior to me reading this book, on three separate occasions, I've run into people reading the books. I went to insomnia and the person that gave me my cookies was reading that book. And I asked, and I was like, oh my God, how are you enjoying it? She was like, it's great. Another time I think I was at a cafe, the person that was making my drink was also reading the book. There was another time I like walked past someone reading on like a bench and they were reading the book. And all those interactions happened within like six months. I was like, yeah, no, the universe wants me to read this book. And the universe was right. So I pulled some of my favorite quotes from the book, because as I said, this book is what spurred this episode, a very particular chapter. I believe it's a chapter about communion. Um, I want to say, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a chapter about communion. And for a couple pages, she really talks about the workplace. And I thought it was beautiful. Um, so yes, I'm going to give you some quotes, give you my thoughts, make it a real analytical essay kind of episode. So in my notes from All About Love, my first quote from page 62 uh, doing work we hate assaults our self-esteem and self-confidence. And it's like, this makes sense, but when you when you live this, it really it really hurts. Yeah. And this past summer, while I was reading this very book, in the environment that I was reading this book, I was going through this. I don't know, in this particular instance, my own experience, hate might be a little bit of a strong word. But to have such a strong dislike and unhappiness and discontent with the work that you're doing, and knowing that you just have to keep pushing through is such a difficult you know place to be in and i will say that you know i've talked about mental health on this show multiple times and i feel like i've improved so much i had a really tough time freshman spring and then i had a really really tough time sophomore fall i've talked about this at least i think i have i'm pretty sure i've talked about in recently released episodes feelings of loneliness you know, driving me to therapy, my mental health not doing well, wanting to drop out, wanting to transfer, just having a really tough time. And I feel like in the last nearly a year, I've improved so much. My outlook on life has gotten so much better. And unfortunately, this one summer experience really just like made me take 10 steps backwards on that entire journey. And, you know, I've talked about already, you know, healing isn't linear, whatever, but like I didn't expect to take this much of a step back in a workplace environment, I've been very lucky to have always worked with people that, you know, were always there to lift me up and to always be in really positive, bright, welcoming, safe spaces. And this was not one of those cases. And I was incredibly unhappy. And it gave me a glimpse in these, you know, six weeks of working on what I can't put up with for full-time work. And I can really say that doing the work that you hate assaults your assaults your self-esteem and your self-confidence has so much truth to it because I used to think, which I also talked about, I believe in my freshman recap video, you know, we're really, we've come a long way about how I was at a point where I was willing to stuff down my personal interests, my personal passions for a check. Like I thought consulting was just going to be the path for me for like a year or two to fund graduate school, whatever. Like that work wasn't even remotely interesting to me. This most recent job, the job in itself was interesting. The people some of the people that I worked with were great. And even in that, like even in trying to hold on to that, that was not enough for me. And so I couldn't imagine if I had really pushed myself down that consulting path, I would have been miserable, truly in the gutter, in the ditch, like it would have been bad. And so I really took one for the team. I really don't want any of you to have to experience that. So please do take my advice. And if you can you know, avoid work that you hate or strongly dislike. Moving towards work that you might feel neutral or good about will make your life so much better because the money isn't worth it, especially if the money isn't there. Makes it significantly worse. Moving on to our next quote. On page 63, Bell Hook says, it is equally true that we can do what we love and money will not always follow. This is in reference to, you know, the phrase, do what you love and money will follow. And she addresses the fact that sometimes that's not true. And I think that that's a very tough reality to bite down on, especially for myself, because I always said that, you know, I've always had difficulty finding work that I was interested in that also just happened to pay absolute bank. I know people where the job that they are so excited to do when they graduate also pays them $100,000 a year. Like, it lined up a little too perfectly for them, and that's never been the case for me, but something that did always keep me going was the weight that I put on doing work that I'm passionate about because, you know, beyond mental health, like it just brightens my life so much to spend most of my time doing things that I genuinely care about and things that I genuinely find interesting. And so, you know, because I put so much weight on that in my life, and for some people that's not the case, you know, it's not important for them, or it's not the highest priority on their list for their work to be a source of personal fulfillment, but that's the case for me. And because that's the case, I just wanted to have that very optimistic outlook that money will follow. To a certain degree, it might. But I think it's always good to have that idea in the back of your head that it just might not. And that's not to get you down. That's not to discourage you from doing what you're passionate about. But rather, it's just to take everything with a grain of salt and to always be cautious. And to just accept that sometimes that's not the case. Maybe you get a promotion or you end up finding a new passion. And that works out a little bit better. But, you know... She does have a follow-up to this and Bell Hook says, although this is utterly disappointing, it can also offer us the experimental awareness that doing what you love may be more important than making money, which is usually a point that I don't really hear that often. Of course, some people are in better positions than others to take on the work that they're the most passionate about, even if it's not going to offer them financial stability. If you come from a family that has done very well at building generational wealth for a variety of historical or societal reasons, Um, then you deciding you want to be a teacher that's going to make $30,000 a year is a lot... You can have a lot more comfort within yourself making that decision as opposed to someone who might be first generation and doesn't have access to that kind of generational wealth and resources. So, you know, taking that context into account, whether that's something you can afford, but I also think to a certain extent... You know, I'm not telling you to take garbage, dirt pay, um, but, you know, accept that you might not become a a millionaire or jump up an entire tax bracket doing the work that you're most passionate about. I think as long as it provides a livelihood and if, like myself, um, doing what you're passionate about is very high on your list of priorities in life, then go for it. Uh, But I do think, you know, I talk a lot of crap about money. And money not being real, and how our lives are oriented around this very fake physical thing that has very real consequences. This construct of money, the value, the societal value that we've placed on money beyond economic value, because that's made up too. <laughs> um, you know, Bullock's is right. Like Loki, I don't even need to be explaining her quotes because she's right. She doesn't miss this whole book. She really didn't miss. Um, but yeah, doing what you love may be more important than making money. Sometimes that is very, very true. If you can work in a loving environment and the work you're doing, you know, nine times out of 10 is bringing you that joy. I can't say 10 out of 10 because everyone's bound to have a bad day at work. No job will be wholly fulfilling 24 seven. But, you know, if eight, nine times out of 10, it's that thing that keeps you going and you wake up in the morning and you don't feel like you have to drag yourself out of bed to do it. You know, sometimes that feeling is is more important than money. And I've learned for myself that this is very true. Again, I really took one for the team this summer. Please take my advice. An anecdote, actually, that Bell Hooks brings up on this subject, um, I'll read it verbatim. She says, I've had to work at a job that is less than enjoyable in order to have the means to do the work that I love. And I think that's interesting. I think getting to doing the work that you love... You know, she talks about doing the work that you hate, assaulting your self-esteem, and that doing what you love, money will not always follow. But there's still also room for the reality, which is a reality for her and is oftentimes a reality for other people. It's a reality that I anticipated for myself was you kind of have to cycle through bad things in order to get to what you want. Um, So let's say the first job you get offered right out of graduation is paying you six super sexy figures. And you're like, hmm don't love this work. There's things I'm more passionate about, but it comes with a pay cut. But I can work with this now. You know, maybe this job is less than enjoyable, but it gives you the financial means to save and then ultimately switch into something else that you're more interested in and be in a place where you can take the pay cut. So I think there's not one road to love, to joy, to happiness, to fulfillment, nor is it a a one-way road. Sometimes you go back and forth for a variety of reasons. Unfortunately, a lot of financial reasons. You know, the super fake money just has this way of controlling all of our lives, and I hate it, but that is a rant for another day. But I do think that when it comes to approaching doing what you enjoy, doing what you love, you know, sometimes you kind of have to work your way up to that. It might not be instantaneous. I would love, you know, for you to take those opportunities when they are instantaneous for you, but life is complicated. Unfortunately, that's the only <laughs> assurance I can give you on that. Life is complicated. So, yes, next from the wonderful words of Bell Hooks on page 64, she says, Sometimes we learn what we need to avoid by doing it. My pacing on that was weird. I'll read it again. She says, Sometimes we learn what we need to do by avoiding it. Oh my God, that's not what she said. Third time. Guys, I have a little bit of cotton mouth today. I apologize. Well, Hook says, and I'll read it properly this time, sometimes we learn what we need to avoid by doing it. That makes a lot of sense. I think this is true. I think it's very easy to have unbased or unwarranted uh, assumptions and ideas and expectations about work. You Something might seem really bad to you, but you've never tried it. Of course, like, to a certain extent, like, I know that the types of things, like, if I had to make a list of, like, what kinds of, what kind of work I would be most interested in doing based on my current interests, my current skill set, you know, what's related to my broader life philosophy and whatnot, and certain careers latch onto that or match onto that a lot more accurately than other careers. For me, those tend to be things in the history, societal study, media study realm, not things like engineering, consulting, actuarial sciences. It's not those things. I did test them out, though, just a little bit. We've talked about this in my freshman year recap. I was down bad for a paycheck for all of two months. And, yeah, it was. I, I dipped my toe into things that I don't like just for confirmation. Was I right? I was. But sometimes you might not be. And so I think, especially if you're in college, and I think a lot of my advice about work and love and getting up to doing what you want to do is really based at people in college or anyone that has that type of multi-year delay before they enter the workforce. This advice is most applicable to you because if you're graduating at 18 from high school and going into the workforce Your ability to work your way up to certain things and to have the time to do trial and error looks very different than someone who's in college who can do trial and error with a little bit less consequences, like it's a summer internship. So it's not like you're having to quit your full-time job. You were going to leave in a few weeks anyways. It's a very different testing route. So those are the groups of people that I'm focusing my advice on. And to those people, hello, my advice to clarify is test things out. Like even the things that you think you want to do so badly, double check because there were things that I thought I would love doing and I tried it and I was like, that's boring. And if I had to do this as a full-time job, I'd quit in a week. So take advantage of opportunities, whether it's through volunteer work, internships, courses, you never know, one, how you might continue to feel or how your mind might change about the things that you thought that you really wanted to do or you don't know what kinds of new interests will pop up for you in that exploration. So I do agree that, you know, sometimes, and I think emphasis on sometimes, we learn what we need to avoid by doing it. And in my particular case with this, again talking about this super sexy lovely summer experience, um I learned what I needed to avoid by doing it. I learned, I created really strong priorities for myself in terms of the kinds of work environments that I want to be in and I think I have a lot more questions now to ask when I go through recruiting again the spring semester of my junior year, a lot of questions about work culture, communication, communication. I cannot emphasize how valuable that is to me now, especially because I had an experience working in a place where like it felt like you were playing a game of telephone every single day and it drove me insane. So I think I've learned one, what I need to avoid, because there's really strong things that I had to experience that I know that I would never want to replicate in another workplace. But I also figured out what were priorities for me to create a safe, loving, enjoyable work environment. And that had to come from six six weeks of hell, to put it lightly. And so, you know, it wasn't the greatest experience. And in the moment, I felt like garbage, but I learned a lot from it. So if you have the opportunity to do that little bit of experimenting and to just, you know, do a little bit of double checking, I would highly recommend it. Another couple lovely quotes from the lovely, lovely, lovely Bell Hooks. She says, we can encourage friends and loved ones to move towards greater self-love by supporting them in any effort to leave work that assaults their well-being. And I think that's beautiful because in her definition of love, which I'm trying to... I actually don't think I wrote down her exact definition of love which is interesting because she says it like 16 times in the book but in bell hooks definition of of love which is based on a prior reading that she had done in research for the book who that person is I can't remember but it has to do with nurturing another person's or you know another person is a good way of saying it spiritual like growth and spiritual well-being seeing people or. Wanting to see people do well and heal and become the best versions of themselves is is love. That's like the definition of love. And then within that, to build the foundation of love, there's care, there's trust. Um, There's like four other things that I can't remember off the top of my head. But there's very particular building blocks and things that you really should double check that you have. One, before you call something love and, you know, before you get mistakenly wrapped up in something that isn't actually love. So, yeah, and then thinking about that definition of wanting to see someone's or nurture someone's spiritual growth and well being, doing that for another person by supporting them in any effort to leave work that assaults their well being is one of the greatest acts of love and kindness that I've ever heard. Because I've been in points of my life where I want to leave certain work environments, I want to enter certain work environments. I want to trace dreams that feel, you know, so out of my reach. And I've been so blessed to have people around me, my mother, my best friend, professors, acquaintances, colleagues tell me, hey, you can actually do that if that's something that you really want to do. I believe in you. I will support you however you need me to. And that's just, it's its such a wonderful thing. Something that Bell Hooks talks about in her book is that love does not, especially self-love, does not flourish in isolation. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. I've experienced loneliness, you know, as I've talked about, and how that really destroyed my feelings of self-worth and self-love. And how being in community with others, particularly being in a good community, you know, you don't want to be around people for the sake of being around people, especially if they're not doing any good for you. But... When you're in that kind of community with good people and they're encouraging you to leave bad work environments or they're encouraging you and telling you that you can do whatever it is you're setting your mind to, that is, it's it's a beautiful thing and it's a wonderful thing to have around you. And I would highly encourage, even if the thing that you want to do feels within grasp, surround yourself with your tribe, with a really wonderful community of people because a time will come where you need people to fall back on or... People around you need someone to fall back on and you can be that person for them because love and support and care is a two-way street no matter what. So, yeah, I think do that, be that person for other people, but also surround yourself with those people for you because I think that's a really wonderful thing. Going through, you know, the normal ups and downs of college where today I want to do this, tomorrow I want to do something else, and I had that Like big epiphany last night at one o'clock in the morning actually of what it is I kind of want to do with my life having people I can now turn to and be like okay this is what I want to do this is do I sound crazy right now and having them say no and explaining these plans in detail and having them be like this makes sense or I support you let me know what you need it's just one of the best reassurances and I know for a fact if I didn't have that or if I had people who are bringing negativity into my life that I would begin to doubt myself a lot, which makes that movement towards self-love a lot more difficult for me or for anyone. And so find your people. And I feel like that's a big part of work too, because these people can exist in your workplace. Um, And so, yeah, if you have these kinds of people in your workplace, perfect example, you're working at a job. The job isn't great. You kind of want to leave the job in the words of bell hooks, is assaulting your well-being, you have people around you, especially if these people are coworkers, who can look at you and be like, your concerns are valid, your feelings are valid, and we will support you in your efforts to leave the company. That goes a long way compared to people giving you crap for deciding to leave, talking about you, questioning your decisions. That sucks. But I think, and this is one of the ways that love can enter the workplace. And so I hope that this can be the case for you and that you can really cultivate your community in the workplace and in your personal life, because I think that definitely goes a very long way in ensuring your own well-being. And another really wonderful quote that really sold this point for me from Bell Hooks, I keep saying from Bell Hooks as if I'm going to quote anybody else in this episode, but the lovely Bell Hooks says, when we work with love, we renew the spirit. And I think this is a, po- a quote to ponder in all honesty because renewing the spirit is such a strong it's a very strong way of putting it but i think she's right when love can exist within yourself and within your work that's another type of just like cleansing it's another type of euphoric feeling it i i genuinely it's a very it's a very interesting physical feeling and reaction that I have when I'm in a space to do things that I'm very passionate about. For example, perfect example, when I was working on the Renaissance Archive last semester, which to date is probably the project I'm the most proud of that I made, there was a lot of love involved with that. And in all honesty, it balanced out with a little bit of frustration that I was feeling, the exhaustion I was feeling with trying to curate this big project, which I would highly recommend that you check out because it's so good. Um, I, I felt like I was living on cloud nine. I was up at two in the morning, you know, moving around things on my Wix site and doing research and things were deleting and formatting wasn't going well. But like I felt so good the entire time to be spending my time doing something that I I genuinely really, really cared about and really loved. And the feeling I had also when I was explaining, like I had to present on this ultimately to my class because it was a part of a final project. And I feel like people could really hear like the love, the care, everything just dripping off of my words because I was so into explaining why I was doing what I was doing. And it was another type of passion that I had never experienced before. And I genuinely felt like I was floating on cloud nine the entire time I was talking. The words were just coming out. Like I, it's what true passion feels like. It's what true love feels like. It's what it feels like to be in love with your work. And now that I've experienced that, and then, you know, a few months later, experienced what it's like to work in a place where that love is absent, I realized that love and work are forever bound for me. And now that I know what that tastes like, what that feels like, I, I really wouldn't want to go back to a time and a space and a place where that's not possible for me. And so Bell Hooks really set me up on this one because I hope I can find some financial stability or that that period of me building up to the work I love isn't too long because now that I really know what that tastes like, I really would like some more. (laughs) Again, more lovely words of wisdom. Our final quote from Bell Hooks in this section, she says on page 65... Bringing love into the work environment can create the necessary transformation that can make any job we do, no matter how menial, a place where workers can express the best of themselves. There is room for you in the workplace. And I want to say that again. There is room for you, all of you, in the workplace. I've seen interesting discussion lately about people critiquing companies, rightfully so, who say, bring your whole self to the workplace, but don't really want you to bring your whole self to the workplace. though critique your style of dress, your mannerisms, the way you saw your hair, the way you do your makeup. But it's like, hey, but you told me to bring my whole self and this is how I express myself. And I think that there should always be room to express the best of yourself in the workplace. And really taking this for people from marginalized communities, whether this is on the basis of race, gender, sexual orientation, etc., physical ability, if you can, and I really hope that you can, and I hope this becomes a reality for everyone, to only really have to be in spaces and to have the choice to always and only be in places where you can be the best of yourselves. There's room for you in the workplace. It's not just, you are not, you know, when you clock in at nine, you aren't just this empty vessel that click clacks on the computer all day and brings in money for some company. You are still very much so a person. Don't leave your personality at the door. Don't leave your lived experiences at the door. Don't leave your troubles at the door. All of that comes into the workplace with you. And if your work environment isn't here to uplift you and support you and accept all those aspects of your identity. It's not the place for you. And, you know, I really love how she says, no matter how menial, I'm talking about working at McDonald's, working at Family Dollar, just as much as I'm talking about being the CEO of a company, being some director, whatever. No matter what kind of work you are doing, you know, of course, it becomes easier to select into these types of environments as you kind of move up in the space because you gain more workplace power in order to cultivate that space, even if that's not the condition of the space when you enter. So, like, if you're a manager and you come into the company and you're like, mm, this isn't somewhere where I can be my best self, you have a certain degree of power to influence work culture and the work environment. So, it might be easier for you to cultivate that space as opposed to someone who's a cashier at a family dollar where you are the bottom of the work food chain and you can't change a space if it doesn't already exist like that for you but show up anyways disrupt the workplace i would hope that this doesn't come at the cost of losing your job but of course you know in this case i hate to say i take what i'm saying with a grain of salt or whatever but show up as you every single day like you i think when you have to separate Your work from yourself, your personality, that just sucks. And it makes your work a lot less enjoyable because you do just become that vessel click hacking on a computer or cash register for eight hours a day. And I think it makes it really hard to find your work fulfilling because bringing in those experiences and those aspects of your identity contribute to the quality of work you're producing. It influences how you go about doing your work. And if you have to leave those things behind and they're discouraging you from bringing certain aspects of your identity and your experience into the workplace, the quality of work you produce is going to go down. And so hopefully more people that have the power to cultivate workplace culture, work environments that are part of recruiting can recognize that the workplace should always be a place of self-expression. Like it's not your identity as an employee. First of all, being an employee is only a, a one facet of, of many, of thousands of your identity. And so you shouldn't have to, like that one might come to the forefront, you know, when you clock in at nine and when you clock until you clock out at five, but it shouldn't be that everything gets so pushed far back to the the back burner because you are still a person, not just an employee, not just an employee code, you are still a person. And so bring that personhood. And I think that's a really big part of bringing love into the work environment so that any job you're doing in this type of space can be a job that's done with love. And when there's love behind something, what's produced from that is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And people will recognize that and people people can see that. And so I hope that we're all able to be in environments like this or change environments to be like this for us. And that we can have the confidence and the assurance that we can bring our full selves. We can be our full selves all day, every day. And that there will always be people there to support us, even if that's a community that you have to choose to select into, just choose to cultivate for yourself. I got feel like I got very into that. I didn't realize that that was something I was so passionate about, but yes. So I'm talking a lot about work environment, work environment, work culture. What did I learn, you know, from my experience? Um, I've come to understand what kind of environment I want to work in. And I found that this is just as important as being able to do the work I enjoy, period. Because I used to focus a lot on I just want to be at this company and do this job. Like, I want to record this video and plan this episode and organize this budget. Like, I only thought about what I would be giving to this company. and didn't think about what I wanted to get from it. That was something I'd never really considered. Even in my critique of work, I never really thought about what I could possibly gain from being in particular spaces and being in particular work environments. And so, you know, let's get into some detail. Let me give you my notes. And so, one, you don't make the same mistakes I do. And so you also have an idea of what it is that you want for yourself. Because truly, like, when you're going into recruiting, when you're going into starting your first job, your first internship, whatever, it's a wonderful thing to have a very clear idea of what you can and cannot tolerate in the workplace. Because, like, sometimes I would, like, talk to people and I'd be like, how was the job? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, whatever but I feel like one, I wasn't asking the right questions to get at their true feelings about the work environment. And I think that's something you kind of have to push for because sometimes people don't want to say, even if they don't enjoy the job, they might not be willing to rant about it in detail. So don't be afraid to ask. Trust me, if you want to know more details about my job, ask me personally. I won't put that on the internet uh, for possibly legal reasons. So yes, I, I realize that like being in a, Openly communicative environment is really important for me because conflict between co workers and frustration over work is bound to arise. There's no workplace, no matter how good the work you're doing is, there's no workplace where that won't exist. And so, having that kind of space and that common understanding that if you have an issue with someone or an issue with the work you've been asked to do, That you can vocalize it and your concerns will be taken seriously and action will be taken from that is so important for me now. And that's something I really want to stress with, you know, whoever I work with for next summer because I felt like I was in a place where I had complaints and they claimed like, oh, like, tell us if you had them. And so I would say them and then nothing would happen. It was a very blatant, like, it was very obvious that I was talking to a brick wall and that everything I was saying was going in one ear and coming out the other. And when you as a worker have that experience where you're pouring out your heart and soul, you're crying, you're going – and to just be shut down like that hurts so badly that it brought me to tears more than once this past summer. And so, you know, everyone likes to say, like, communication, but communication should turn into action, and that is incredibly important for me. Like, I can talk all I want to and my employer can be like, "Yeah, we sat and we listened and we scheduled meetings with our employees and we really heard their concerns." "Okay, but what did you do about those concerns?" It's such a great follow-up question. Or just clarifying question whenever anyone brags about like communication being a strength. Um I think also having certain understandings of having a strong understanding of what's expected of you because that also really affects the work environment. For example, I get I now, after this experience, feel a little bit odd about anyone calling me a flexible person or anyone saying that their employees are so flexible that whenever we need them to do something, they just do it, or that I've been that person for someone else as an employee. It makes me there's a certain degree of which you shouldn't be super rigid in a workplace because every day of the job is not predictable. I totally get that. But when that can be taken advantage of by employers, where it turns into we're going to tell her she's doing X, Y, and Z and then give her A, B, C, D, E, F, G to do instead. And if she does it. She's cool. She's flexible. But if she doesn't choose to do things that are significantly outside of the range of her job description or were sprung on her on the last minute, if she doesn't want to do that, she sucks. That's not fair. And so having a very clear understanding of what your job is and honestly asking being like hey i looked at the job description and it said this this and this okay but what else do you anticipate you know i know that every day of the job isn't going to be the same give me an example of something that you think could come up a day or two you know out of the blue out of nowhere and i'm suddenly going to have to work on it what do you think that could look like because if they tell you it's this big massive thing and you're like whoa how often do you think that's going to happen and like oh it could happen pretty often maybe you should reconsider if that's something that you don't want to take on surprises suck because everyone's going to be annoyed. Everyone's going to be annoyed when things get sprung on them at the last minute. And what does that make for a very moody work environment? And I had to learn that for myself. So that's another thing. Um, what else? What kind of environments do I want to be in? I want places that are truly supportive. Like, and this is not specifically to like managers, recruiters, whatever. This is, amongst co-workers for spaces to be supportive and to be safe when you come forward with a complaint you shouldn't be made out to be the bad guy whether it's a complaint against another co-worker or complaint against the company if people are icing you out and saying bad things behind your back and i talked about this before of like a potential place where love can exist in the workplace is if you let's say decide to leave your current job having your current co-workers be like hey we support you makes a very big difference as opposed to people Essentially packing your bags and sending you on your way in a very mean way. I think you don't realize like sometimes it's like, Oh, but like I don't have to be friends with my coworkers. I'll just do my job and leave. Having a poor relationship with your coworkers affects your job so much more than you realize, especially if you're working in a collaborative space. And for me, almost everything that I want to do is collaborative. I can't do it in isolation. And so having coworkers who are genuinely there to support me, of course you're bound to disagree on things. I'm not saying that these people have to align with you ideologically, tick off every single box, but just knowing that people can put differences aside to support one another to a certain extent is a a wonderful thing to have because it's a very human connection that goes beyond just being coworkers. It's almost friends, it's almost acquaintances, you know? And so being real people with one another, being able to support one another is is really really important and i really want to touch on safety um this can be physical safety in terms of assault um bullying uh, abuse of power like you might think that like no company is going to publicize that like period like no one's going to publicize that um being like we've had this many reports of sexual assault allegations against our ceo like they're not going to tell you that and so I think it's really important, you know, talk to people who are already there. And I've come up with a whole new flurry of questions that I would want to ask someone. You know, we talk a lot about coffee chats here. Didn't know what that was until like last year. Very popular here. It's a big part of the recruitment process, which I was not aware of when I was recruiting. And I was like, what do you guys keep calling people at these companies and talking to them about? Because they'd call like five different people sorry they call like five different people from the same company and I'm like what are you guys talking about and I realized like work environment work culture and it's so important and talking about safety and people should be very honest with you and so and if you're the person that someone else is coming to be honest you know no one really benefits if you lie or you cover things up for your company and so because then you just create a really bad environment for other people to enter into you contribute to that environment so Yeah, I think those are like, I think I listed like three things. Those are things that I didn't have in the way that I wanted to in my current job, and I didn't know how to ask for them. Of course, there's a certain extent to which interviewers will lie to you because they want you to work for them. They're not going to be like, actually, happy you asked that. It's this many cases of assault. Like, they're not going to, you're not going to do that. Um, but sometimes you'll, you'll be surprised that when you ask the right questions, how you can get the responses that you're looking for. So, Yeah, I hope that when you have to talk to an interviewer or an employee or anyone about anything, that those are some concerns for you to kind of use as a blueprint to figure out if that work environment is for you. Because the job itself might be right up your alley, but that company, that space just isn't for you. So I said that this episode is largely in relation to the episode, I Simply Shall Not Work, that was released over a year ago. And so what would this episode be without some very direct comparison between my thoughts then and my thoughts now? And so I went back to my notes from that previous episode, really had to dig for it in the drive. And I want to look at some things that I said, some points that I made, and see one, if I still feel the same, and two, if I don't, why not? And how have my thoughts changed? So first, um, I made a note of, yeah, something that I'm still experiencing. So I still fall into my school's pre-professional culture. Like, it's a very, it's hard to escape. I was already like that. And so that's why I didn't really fear it coming into to school. But this place made it worse because I know people who are recruiting right now for next summer, for summer 2023, and I know people who are recruiting for summer 2024. Like, the eye on the future is so far ahead and it's just unblinking. To the point where it is so concerning to me. And so when you're seeing people put this much time and effort into recruiting, people start recruiting before the school year even starts. They're doing all the coffee chats and they're, you know, doing all this technical prep for interviews. And I'm just like, what's going on? Like, it's hard not to be sucked into it, even if we're not going for the same industry. Because what I'm describing is a lot of people in business, but and the business school is only one of four schools here. But it doesn't change the fact that that bleeds into the general college environment and puts this like weight of expectation over everybody, regardless of what they're studying. And I am still very much under that cloud at the moment, and I don't think I'm going to get out from underneath it. I do think I'm doing better now because I'm joining organizations and looking for work that actually interests me, and things are coming more naturally for me now. And I feel like I'm doing it for myself and not for others. A really big thing I talked about in that episode previously was falling into um, falling into work that I just didn't care about because I was so, one, attached to money, and two, feeling like the pre-professional culture was pushing me in a very particular route industry-wise, and it does. It does encourage everyone to go into business and to go into consulting. And so I was kind of letting that current carry me instead of, using the drive of pre-professionalism to direct me to things I care more about. Like if I'm going to fall into it, I might as well use it to do things that I care about, to motivate me to start working in the industry that I want to work in after I graduate. So this means, you know, joining arts collectives and production groups and things like that, as opposed to crap that I just could care less about. So pre-professional culture still sucks, I think, I wish we still had more opportunities to live in the moment, to care less about grades and to care a little bit less about stacking the resume. I, I really, you know, I stand by my point that that should be the case, that college should be a real learning environment, not just boot camp on how to be the best worker because that's genuinely what it is. And I can tell that that's how people see college as very much just a stepping stone between high school and the career that they want, which I guess to each their own, but I wish it was also a place of, slowing down and learning for the sake of learning and it's, it's not unfortunately so that sucks but I would say you know if you're in an environment like that some you know every school's environment is different some schools might be more chill about that stuff unfortunately mine isn't and if you're in an environment like mine I would say if you find that you just can't fully remove yourself from it because I know some people who have they don't let that stuff sweat them they're not they're not you know they're not stressing right now but if you're like me and you can't separate yourself use it to redirect yourself. I think there's a lot of value in taking that energy and putting it to things you care about. And I do still know, you know, on this note, that I can't stuff down my happiness and do things for the sake of or for money or whatever. Like I know, you know, through trial and error, through my own experiences as of late, that doing work that I care about, that I love, that I'm passionate about is an absolute top priority for me. And so using the pre-professional culture is motivation. It pushes me into those spaces and it's made me a lot happier. And I feel really good about putting effort into things I care about as opposed to just saying, I want to do this as some like far off thing. Like I'm going to graduate college 10 years from now. This time, two years from now, I'll be working a full-time job or on a gap year. I won't be in college. And so it'd be nice to just get an idea to really solidify what it is I'm interested in. This is my time period, as I said before, to really test things out. And so I've been doing work, y'all. You know, don't be mad at me. I've been doing work. I've been putting in the work. But it's been enjoyable. Something that I said um, was that college is not designed for learning for the sake of learning, just to make you a more qualified applicant for a job to make money. As I said, this is true. I, I don't miss. I'm going to – well, that's not true. I miss occasionally. I miss occasionally, but this is not one of those cases. Um, I think it's – it's really about finding the spaces that allow you the freedom to learn above all else. And for me, that's recently been the camera fellowship that I just started this year. Like, that's a space of learning for the sake of learning. Like, that's that's the point. Of course, there's, like, ultimate goals that you'll get into graduate school and get PhDs. But, like, at its core, it's learning for the sake of learning because it's that love of learning and the content that you learn that's going to get you that's going to naturally open those doors for you because the way that you go about expressing that passion is bound to rope anybody in. You know, if... I think, like, for me, that's creative spaces. I want to suggest for everyone that that can be creative spaces, but I know that those environments can come with their own degrees of, like, toxicity, and so I can't just say, like, go to your local, like, art scene and just, like, chill there because it's not, you know, I don't want to give you a warped perception of what those spaces can be like. Um... But yeah, I think finding spaces, organizations, clubs, people, you know, people that want to learn for the sake of learning, surrounding yourself with people like that. Because I think if you're trying to distance yourself from pre-professional culture and, you know, feeling like college is just this stepping stone to a money-making career, it really won't help you if you surround yourself – sorry – if you surround yourself with people that buy into that so heavily. So – Think about that. Think about that. Another lovely thing I said, um again, a case where I don't miss, working for money is fascinating. I despise money. Life is grossly centered around making money, the myth of the dream job, capitalism at work, etc. I am not wrong on this. I don't we're not gonna fight on this one, because this is just this is just true. Um The concept of working for money so fascinates me. The fact that such useful, necessary services for society go so underpaid is so ridiculous to me. Teachers, you know, I'm from Florida. Trust me, I really. it took a lot of bravery for me to admit that on the Internet, but I am from Florida. And last time I checked when I was in high school, um, which I'm old now, so I guess that was a while ago. But last time I checked when I was in high school... Florida ranked 50 out of 50 for um, how it paid its teachers, meaning the teachers in Florida on average were paid the least compared to teachers in any other state in the country. And I had so many teachers that were so passionate about their work, whose work was so necessary, who without their work, I wouldn't be sitting here in the space that I am on this campus, working on this podcast, whatever. None of that would have been possible without those people. And to think that They're having to work night jobs. They're tutors. They're teaching college classes on the side. Like, that's ridiculous to me. You should be able to, you know, make a living and then some when you're contributing that much to society. Frankly, everyone. I don't care whether your job is being the president of the United States or sweeping the hallways of my college dorm. Everyone should be working a livable salary and shouldn't have to wake up every day and be like, oh my God, if I don't work today, my family's going to lose their house at the end of the month. Like, that's ridiculous and I, I think that that sucks you know living paycheck to paycheck having that constant like financial anxiety financial anxiety is such a big thing and I'd really low-key like that's for me that's very different than just saying that I despise money financial anxiety has been a really big thing for me since high school and it's you know I've talked about this before I'm like You know, I'd pick a career and the first thing I would do is go on Google and be like, X, Y, Z career salary. And then when I saw the number was a little too low, I got nervous. and I would put aside certain passions, certain interests. I wouldn't even explore them as interests because I didn't want to find that I really loved it. And now I was attached to something that wasn't going to make me any money because that would have just made my financial anxiety worse. I'm so concerned that I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get this job and be like, oh, my God, yay. Cannot pay bills. Cannot buy myself groceries. I'm barely surviving. You know, I really have to hold on to everything that Bell Hook said to me. And, you know, I know my own list of priorities with love, but it doesn't change the fact that right after the pursuit of happiness and of joy on my list, right beneath that is financial security. Very, very important for me. And so it really sucks that we're in this really twisted cycle and web when it comes to that. And if I had the power to fix it for you all, trust me, I would. Um it's, it's fascinating and it's disappointing. And I, I'm a strong believer that when things don't work, you should be able to just dismantle them and do it again. I, it's, I always say that like, okay, if it doesn't work, just take it apart and do it again. Like the education system, it doesn't work. Okay. Just wipe the whole thing and start over. Like sit down and just rewrite it. Like, it's not that hard. Is how I imagine things. And so this financial system, this economic system just doesn't work. Just take it apart and redo it. Like if, this is a big societal issue for people financial anxiety. The only way you can really address financial anxiety is paying everybody a livable wage. You know, not evicting people from their homes in order to build fancy on-campus buildings. You know who I'm talking about. It's not, you know, raising rent overnight and people being forced to leave their home. It's not it's not that, you know. There's there's tangible solutions. These there's identifiable solutions to these issues, they might not revamp or rework the entire system, but it's a step in the right direction. Financial anxiety is a really big issue. I think it'll probably become more of a generational talk amongst Zheng Z in the next few years as more of us, you know, graduate and enter the workforce. Because I feel like, and you know, especially right now, we are on the cusp, if not in the beginning stages of a recession. And I can only imagine that financial anxiety My financial anxiety is going to get significantly worse. Um, Graduating in a recession and finding work is going to be difficult. And all my feelings about, you know, not being able to acquire financial stability is just going to send me through the roof. But you'll be here when I make that update episode. So I'll probably title it, I am financially anxious or, oh, my God, girls, the recession has arrived. Like, keep an eye out on that one. Um, But I do think that life is grossly centered around making money and that you can't just live life. For the sake of living life, you know, like I feel like you should just be able to wake up in the morning, and if you want to go to work, this is a very odd because this goes back to the thing that I, you know, I don't dream of labor, and if I don't want to work, I don't want to work, and if you don't want to work, you just don't go to work that day. I'm not saying that you know you shouldn't you should stop going to work for six months at a time, but I'm saying, you know, if it's like one or two days every two to three weeks that you're just up and you're like, you know, I just don't really feel it today. You should have the kind of support system, the type of, you know, guaranteed financial backing for everybody that you can just take that day for yourself. Take a mental health day, take a break, take a breather. I think that when you start working that full time job, it's like one thing after the next, after the next, after the next that I, I really I'm terrified of that because at least with school, like it feels like that for 14 weeks and then I have a break and then another 14 weeks and I have a three month break. It's going to be a very tough adjustment for me that when I start working, you don't have a built-in summer break. You get, like, two paid weeks off of the year, and that's it. And not everybody gets that. And so that's a crazy thing to me in the way that, like, work takes priority over mental health and well-being and just any regard for humanity is so odd to me still. Um, I was hoping, you know, like, between these two episodes that we would have gotten it together, and unfortunately that's not the case. So that sucks. But I, you know, fingers crossed. I think as conversations around these things increase and, you know, I'm really putting a lot of faith in Gen Z because I feel like I've heard good, positive conversation in the right direction. You know, people of my generation entering the workforce, having significant power within the workforce, entering government, having power in those realms. I think there's a chance for a change in culture, work culture, societal culture. I think there's a lot of I'm I'm optimistic. I'm I'm disappointed, I'm dissatisfied at the moment, but I'm very optimistic. The myth of the dream job. Um I still think this is a myth. I think one it's it's as I said, it's capitalism at work. As long as you can convince people that there is the job out there for them, you make it easier to also convince them that they should be working 40 hours a week and they should take two paid weeks off for an entire year. Or, or even less like you can convince people of all those other things once you convince them that if they find something that they love then it's fine it's like i have i have mixed feelings like i believe that love can exist in work and love should exist in the workplace and you should have genuine enjoyment in the things that you do but i also see how the myth of the dream job becomes incredibly manipulative for members of the workforce and that's the purpose of it you know um Because everyone is, like, so, you know, how bent on finding their purpose, their thing. And it's like, oh, my God, yeah, like, it's totally us. Like, you should totally, like, this is the dream job. Because then people will want to work because they want to find their dream job. But if we didn't believe in that, if we separated ourselves from it, which I think that we should, you know, you can set out to do things that you enjoy. That might not be a, quote, unquote, dream job. I think it's the same thing with, like, elite universities and the concept of the dream school, How do you keep your school hype and relevant? You convince people it's their dream school. You tell them everything that they want to hear so they keep applying. Interest remains high. Your enrollment remains high. Your endowment remains high. And so all those things are connected. And I think that it sucks. So I would say make the decision for yourself, you know, whether or not you have a dream job or whatever. Just like decisions you make about entering certain industries, fighting for certain jobs, fighting for work period, I just say, like, come at it from the right place when you make certain decisions. I have a lot of critique. Like, I can't even fully get into this one because um, I'm just like, wow. Like, that's just crazy. Um, I really want to wrap this up for y'all. Let's let's get to where we get to. Um, You know, I said that I don't want to work. I wouldn't in an ideal world. I do not dream of labor. Work and happiness exist at different ends of the spectrum. Unsure if there's a middle ground. I don't care. I don't want to care about money. Lots of things that I elaborated on in that previous episode. There's a lot of truth to this. I don't want to work. I think I've reached a point where I have things that I'm genuinely interested in that I would like to do. I wish that money was separated from it. Like I wish that this thing didn't also have to be my livelihood Um, because then I would just do whatever I want. I think that's where the dream job gets a little bit tricky, too, because there also has to be an element of financial stability. And so like, it just chasing the dream job becomes very difficult. But that's a whole nother. I would want to flesh my thoughts out specifically on the dream job. And I'll get back to you. Uh, I did say that in an ideal world, I wouldn't work. Um, because I have things that I genuinely want to do. I want to amend that statement and say that I wouldn't want to work all the time. I think we should be able to work, 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 and then just stop working for an extended period of time and then work again, and then you know, as it makes sense to us um I think that should be how the how it works um and i I don't dream of labor. I don't dream of being an employee, I don't dream of having a manager standing over my shoulders. I don't dream of stress i I don't, but I dream of having certain impacts on society and working in certain places and spaces and whatever is a part of making that a reality. And that's something that I just have to accept to a certain degree. Um, Not to be a Debbie Downer, but like, I don't, I don't dream of labor. Like some people are so committed to their work in a very particular way. I'm like, you're stressing yourself for what, you know? You know, there's so much to do in life outside of working a nine to five job. And I think when I think of work, it's largely tied to the nine to five, 40 hour a week, five day a week work schedule that I just I really hate that and I think you know there's a lot of conversation at this moment about the four-day work week I'm really curious as to how that's going to work in terms of pay that's the one thing I really haven't heard particularly on trials of that in the U.S. how this affects your pay like if you're working one whole less day is your general like rate of work going to increase to compensate for the like eight less hours You're working, does your salary remain the same even though you're working four less days? How does your workload increase, especially if you're doing project-based work? If you lose an entire day, it becomes harder to get the work done. You might be working more than eight hours in the four days that you're working, and that's not worth it. Um, So yeah, labor is gross and complicated. Um, I said that for me, work and happiness existed at different ends of the spectrum. Um, I do think that they do but not because I want them to anymore. I think for me, it used to just be like, that's just how it existed in my mind. They don't, there's a lot of overlap. But like not work in the traditional sense, work in the sense of like doing something I'm interested in, whether that's a full-time job or otherwise, like just the general concept. So like, you know, thinking, complicating about the term work that I've been using this entire episode, but like doing things, doing things actually just how I should have meant it, doing something and experiencing happiness used to be two very separate things for me like I could not imagine myself entering into this establishment for 40 hours in a week and then finding any happiness in that. like that just didn't make any sense I think because money was attached to it and I felt like money would skew the decision as to where I decided to work or the pressure of knowing that I needed to take care of a paycheck would affect the ability, the way that I work or whatever, like there was just money and work are very intrinsically tied to one another. And I feel like if I'm able to separate money from work and just think about work as doing something, not doing something to make money, but doing something, then I can, it's easier for me to map work and happiness on top of each other. When you throw money into the equation, it gets complicated for me personally. For some people, that's not the case, you know, because, Work happiness and making bank overlap, but that doesn't overlap in that way for everybody. So like, yeah, separating money from the equation, work and happiness I have found can coexist. I found things that I'm genuinely interested in. If you needed me to wake up in the morning and do it every day, I would do it purely because I'm interested in it. So that's an amendment to my previous, but a perfect middle ground, I don't know what that would look like for everybody beyond myself because I know what my interests are and what I want to do. But like thinking out on a broad scale, like how can we rework the workplace, our concepts of work in order for work and happiness to sit together in harmony at all times? Haven't figured that one out yet. It's been a year. But maybe once I enter the actual full-time workforce, I'll figure it out. So update on that also coming soon. So, you know, this is going to be an episode that I update like every year of my life, it seems like, as I get new work experience. So we shall see. And of course, as I said, if that exists, what would it look like? Think about it. Dream about it. Give me an answer because I don't know yet. I need to work a little bit more. You know, this one, this summer was my first real proper, proper work experience that wasn't related to like on-campus jobs or clubs. And I learned a lot from it. And it altered my views as we can see a lot. So it would be very interesting to see what changes next summer brings in my first full-time job. So I'm very happy to be sharing this journey with you. This episode felt very rambly. Like, I have notes. I promise you guys, I'm looking at, like, notes on a Google Doc right now. I just feel like I kind of came into it with a wonky brain today. But I think it's also something that, like, I'm still fleshing out for myself. I think the previous episode, I was very firm. And I got a lot of agreement, which is unfortunate because it was such a, like, Debbie Downer episode. But I think now I'm definitely in more of, like, a discovery experimental phase for myself Figuring out what it is I want, what I want to do, what my standards are. You should always have standards and you should always have priorities. Um, and so this is a very exploratory episode. Hopefully, my next update on my feelings about work feels very, very, very concrete. And hopefully, I have figured out this middle ground for you because it's been a year and I haven't figured it out yet. So enough rambling. You've been listening to me enough. Thank you for doing that. You know, my final, my final note is prioritize happiness. This is related to work this is related to relationships, this is related to education, this is related to everything in your life. Prioritize happiness. That's something I've just been saying a lot this summer and this year. Prioritize happiness. Choose to be happy, choose to be loved, choose to love yourself. I thank you again for taking the time to listen to me ramble today more than usual. Um, I truly, truly, truly appreciate your lovely listening ear. Please reach out to me if you have any ideas, any pushback on what I'm saying. Please, I'd love to talk to you about it. Um I really appreciate it. Thank you all so much. This has been the Untitled Podcast, and this has been your host, Crystal. Have a very, very, very lovely day. Goodbye.